You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. My characters have a moral code. Chrissy Snow had a moral code. Her moral code was a simple one. She would never tell a lie. She would never steal anybody's husbands or boyfriends. She was the daughter of a minister. We knew exactly the box she lived in. We knew what she would and wouldn't do. Actress Suzanne Summers. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. For many years, actress Suzanne Summers kept us laughing. A talented comedic actress, she knew how to leverage her blonde good looks for a laugh. But until she wrote a memoir in the late 1980s, few people knew the full extent of the abuse she had suffered as a child. An alcoholic father made her life miserable, and she later said that laughter was what got her through. A few years later, she wrote another book, helping others confront and deal with their own painful childhood memories. That book was called Wednesday's Children, and that's when I had the chance to meet her. Now, I had interviewed Suzanne once before, but it was by phone. This was our first face-to-face meeting. Now, a warning. You're about to listen to true stories of abuse, some of it sexual in nature, and some of the descriptions are graphic and may be disturbing. So here now, from 1993, Suzanne Summers. Well, the last book I wrote, Keeping Secrets, uh, seemed to help so many people. I, I'm not kidding if uh, the size of this room here, your listeners won't know what size this is, but this is a, a fair-sized room. If you took it and crammed it floor to ceiling with the letters I got, that is no exaggeration. It, I, thousands and thousands of letters, and in fact, they're still coming in, of people saying, through your story, I saw what's wrong with my life. And then I realize my story isn't important. What is important is as the listener, as the reader, that you see bits and pieces of your own life in it, and then it makes you realize, ah, that's why I do what I do. That's why I do the things that I do. That's why I can't put my finger on happiness. So because of the success of that book, um, I decided this year to write Wednesday's Children and interview many, many people who lived abusive backgrounds because mine focused mainly on being a child of an alcoholic, which was emotional abuse and physical abuse. Uh, I decided to to take the three categories of abuse, which is phys- emotional abuse, physical abuse, and sexual abuse, and then gather together stories, people's personal stories. And I spent many, many hours with each each person in there. Some of the people are famous. Some are people that you know, and some are people that you don't know. And uh, I did that because abuse knows no delineation. It doesn't only happen to... Uh, poor families from the wrong side of the track. It's happening right here in Washington, D.C., in, in homes of, of people who you see on the television. Uh, it was happening in Bing Crosby's house. Um, after talking with Gary Crosby, I really came to the conclusion that you could probably put Bing Crosby in the category of sadist. He beat his children, particularly Gary. Uh, he would step into him, according to Gary, um, 
15, 18 times like with a baseball bat with a leather strap with a metal point on the end. And this would happen two and three times weekly because Gary wouldn't lose the prescribed weight that he was told to lose during the week. And his father called him fat ass and bucket butt in front of all his friends like Dean Martin and Bob Hope. And he grew up so angry, so enraged. So what what I realized, you know, there's Gary Crosby. Then there's, um, I talked to B.J. Thomas, country western singer, famous for Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. And uh, I saw him on television talking about his drug and alcohol problem that he OD'd three times, uh, which were really suicide attempts. He just didn't want to live anymore. When I look at that, it's the same way I look at a juvenile delinquent on television when they're talking about, oh, this bad kid. And I think, why, though? Why is this kid acting out with such inappropriate and horrible rage? Why was um, B.J. Thomas wanting to kill himself. Why did he OD three times on purpose? And uh, talking to B.J. Thomas, um, he said, well, nothing really happened in my childhood. And uh, after about an hour of conversation, he said, well, my father, I said, I was an angry kid. Why, B.J.? Well, my father used to beat me every single day. It didn't matter what I did. If I didn't comb my hair right, if I didn't make my bed right, if I didn't mow the lawn right, whatever it was, I would get a beating, he said, um, not just a little spanking on the behind. This is being thrown against the room. This is, you know, being cold-cocked in the face. And then, he said, and then there was another thing. Well, what, B.J.? Well, from the time I was two years old... Um, a man who was living with us all uh, through my childhood, a relative very close to me, was putting his penis in my mouth. And he said, even as a two-year-old, I knew there was something wrong with this. He said, but I was too scared to tell anybody and too scared not to do it. He said, and all it made me feel was shamed, like I was worthless, and then my father would beat me and 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 then I had my answer. Like I getting got my answer in so many of these stories. So it's very logical with all that pain that little kid carried around that it's going to manifest in his later life. And there is the reason for the drugs, the alcohol, the three suicide attempts. Pronounced dead three different times. He said, I did not want to live. He was brought back to life. So I found the pattern in Wednesday's children was... um, What they endured in their childhood, when they left home, they recreated the same pattern again. What you hate is what you are and what you recreate because it's what's familiar. And that the symptoms, drug addiction, compulsive overeating, uh, some people are sex addicts, you know, and I used to kind of make light of sex addicts and say, gee, I wasn't that lucky. And as a lecturer, I would get a laugh out of the audience until one day a girl came up to me and she said, I really resent what you said. She said, I'm a sex addict. She said, I was sexually abused as a child. And she said, um, I am doing intensive work on myself. She said, but it's the only way I learned that people would like me. And um, she said, there's never any gratification in it. She said, it's furtive. It's, um, it's shameful. Everything about it, she said, it makes me want to kill myself. So I interviewed her in this book. Uh, her name is Marie Williams in the, in the book. And what turned out with Marie in this book was that her father started sexually molesting her at age four. 
Now, what's strange about this is that she thought it was her fault. She thought that somehow she had been seductive. How is a four-year-old girl seductive? I mean, it's impossible. She felt that if she hadn't been so seductive, her father wouldn't have done it because he convinced her it was her fault. And he also told her if she ever told anyone, he would kill her. So she lived under the threat of this. By age 14, he had gotten her pregnant. At five months uh, pregnant, um, he took her down to Tijuana with a coat hanger and mm. and gave her an abortion. And now this this is a girl today that is in treatment and trying to unravel this mess and has chosen that she's not going to be a victim anymore and she's turning her life around. And that is another uh, um, common thread through this book, Wednesday's Children, is each person in the book has decided that it wasn't their fault and they're not going to be victims. And these are stories of hope of no matter what you went through, that you can, with the proper help and treatment, make it out and stop the cycle and not pass it on to your own kids. And that's really important. As you point out in here, it would be one thing if you could take a look at this kind of abuse always produces this result, <laughs> and this kind always produces this result. It would be very easy to spot and to treat, but everyone reacts differently. Right. Everyone has a, Some people internalize, as you say. Other people turn to drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever, the, 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 the soothing element, or food. Louis Anderson was here the other right. day. I mean, he'll tell you all about that. Right. Uh, it just makes it so much harder, and some people, I'm sure, have, have combinations of those things. Well, look at workaholism. Look at Dr. Yeah. Richard Berenson. He is one of the people I interviewed in this book. Um, here is the pillar of respectability. And yet, what was it, three years ago, he was um, caught making indecent phone calls from the office of the president of, uh, of American U University. When we talked, uh, which was at a very fragile time in his life, it was right after this whole thing, his life had blown up in front of him. Well, Richard was sexually abused um, and this is the strange part. He is still protecting the person who sexually abused him. He will only say a woman very close to him and a man very close to him uh, throughout his childhood. Uh, it was so repulsive to him. But at the same time, by the nature of his anatomy, he had to participate. And at the same time, what repulsed him also felt good. So therefore, the combination was deep unbelievably deep shame that it was his fault. See this again, and this person that you're supposed to trust most in the whole world takes advantage, takes control over you, takes all your power away, yet you are the one who feels guilty and ashamed. It's a betrayal of trust, it's isn't it? It's a total betrayal of trust by the people you're supposed to trust most in the whole world. I mean, it would be traumatic it, enough it, if someone, a stranger in a dark alley, right. hit you over the head and robbed you. That's traumatic. Right. But to have a parent right. symbolically hit right. you over the head and rob you. Exactly. That is, and kids want to love and respect their parents. So long after uh, they are out of the environment and the abuse has stopped, they will still protect that person. Because deep in their heart, they feel that it was their fault. After this short break, how her own life helped shape the way Suzanne Summers play the mom on TV. Start your day with Now I've Heard Everything. We post new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 5 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. Subscribe now so you'll have something fresh to listen to and get your day going.
back to my 1993 conversation with Suzanne Summers. Now back to the case of Richard Berenson. He repressed. Once the sexual abuse stopped, he pushed all that memory down, so deep down, and and um, in this, in essence, the drink he was taking, the drug he was taking, was work. He became a workaholic. He he. The degrees that he piled up were are really stunning and astounding. Um, he graduated from uh, MIT with his PhD. He's got more initials after his name than anybody I've ever known. He said that he would work 16, 17, 18 hours a day. He would work until he'd finally pass out into sleep. And it's really that case of I'm dancing as fast as I can because if I keep moving, I won't have to remember. And and it was, it was reading about the McMartin uh, child abuse case in California that seemed to trigger childhood memories. If his day was filled up with appointments all day long, but somewhere between 3 and 3.15 he had free time, he said he would, like a curious tick went off, he would find himself going through the child care um, ads in the paper, and he would find a child care person and call them and try to find out in this state that he was in of why someone would would molest and sexually abuse a child. And in order to do this in this sick place that he was at this time, he would uh, assume the role of an abuser so that he could get the person to talk. He was trying to find a surrogate for the person who did it to him to find out why. And yet this is subliminal. This was subconscious. Then the phone call would be over. He would hang up the phone, look at his appointment. Ah, 3.30, I've got to go give a speech in the lecture hall, go off, never remember that he did it. This is, this is like with B.J. Thomas. It's the drink. It's the drug. It's OD. It's self-destructive. It's the manifestation of something that happened so long ago. And my theory after interviewing all these people is it doesn't go away. If it happened to you, it lies there smoldering at the bottom of your soul, and one day it will rear its ugly head in the most inappropriate and sometimes uh, destructive uh, ways, in, like in the examples I've given you. So knowing this information, if anybody lived anything like any of these stories that I'm talking about, understand that you have to take care of yourself. You have to help yourself. You have to get to the bottom of it. And to relive the pain is awful. I've done it. It's awful. It's agitating. It stirs up everything you've been trying to forget all your life. But once you finally work through, however long it takes, for me it was writing 10 hours a day for a year and a half, plus years ago, three years of therapy, um, however long it takes you, it is worth it because once you relive it, you can understand it. Once you understand it, you can forgive your abuser because you usually find that they themselves were abused. As in my own father's case, how could I blame him for his alcoholism when his own father was an alcoholic? Well, blame is not a word you use in here. I anyway. do not blame. Blame is is um, a cover-up for shame. Blame keeps you a victim. If you keep saying, I'm this way because of what happened to me in my childhood, well, you've let your abuser win. You've become a victim. And what I'm saying is, don't let the abuser take any more from your life than they already have. Stop being a victim. Don't choose to be a victim. 
and get to the place where you understand it so well that you can forgive them and get past your anger and get on with your life. And I'll tell you from my own personal experience that I feel so free and unblocked. And the work that I'm doing today is so much better than anything I've ever done. And I truly feel I can do anything if I decide I want to work hard because I don't have any old crap. How does, I was curious, how does your own life experience affect the way you portray a mom on TV? Uh, my life experience, that's a very good question because I've really thought about this. And the one thing I try to portray is a nurturing mother. Not sappy because I'm a comedian and you're, you, part of my job is to make people laugh. But when one of my children on television needs attention, zap. I go right into, I become a safe adult to my children. A safe adult is someone who won't laugh at them when they tell you your problems, who won't go blabbing it all over the place. That's really important to kids. Who, when they ask you a question, you don't keep your head buried in the newspaper. Who, when you make a promise to them, you keep it. And if you can't keep it, you tell them why you can't keep it and reschedule it for when you can, and that you show up and follow through. That that is what nurturing is about. Nurturing is also, gee, you look nice today. See what a good job you did on your homework. What a nice job you did on your in your cleaning your room. Little things that give kids their value. Have you ever been offered a script and you've said, "Well, no, I this 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 isn't right. This this is not this doesn't feel good." Well, my last series, she's the sheriff. Um, I was frustrated on that show because. I'd read the script and there'd be big jokes, but it would be at the expense of the kids. And I said, um, the one thing that I put out there on television is likability. And um, uh, I'm likable because my characters have, uh, have a moral code. Chrissy Snow had a moral code. Her moral code was a simple one. She would never tell a lie. She would never steal anybody's husbands or boyfriends. She was the daughter of a minister. We knew exactly the box she lived in. We knew what she would and wouldn't do. And she's the sheriff. When I'd read the script and it would be at the expense of the kid, I'd say, we can't do that. I won't do that. So we'd do it so that um, the kid was properly taken care of and then it wouldn't be funny. So that, so I, I had to give up being funny to do the right thing because I was the boss at work, the sheriff, and I was the boss at home because I was a single mother. So this time, with Step by Step, when Tom um, Miller and Bob Boyette, who produced the show, called me in and said, first it was they want a single mother with six children. And I said, no, I don't want to do that show because... I have no, I have to be, the, the buck will stop with me, and I'll never be able to be funny. A year later, they came to me, and they said, we've changed the show. It, we want Patrick Duffy to be a single father with three kids and you a single mother with three kids. I said, that will work. There's the jeopardy. His kids hate my kids, my kids hate. That's a typical <laughs> blended family. So, yeah, the um, Brady Bunch, it ain't. And it, it, it ain't, and it is. You know, it's probably the 90s version <laughs> because... Um, Unfortunately, 50% of all the kids in this country are That's children true. of divorce. And many of those blended families engender abuse of one kind or another of their own. Right. I think, I think we've not even thought about what divorce does to kids. Mm. My son, who's 27, said to me last Christmas, You know, Ma, it doesn't matter which parent I spend the holidays with. I'm always guilty that I'm not with the other one. And I said... And that, unfortunately, is your legacy as a child of abuse. And I wish I could change it, but I can't. But 
he will learn from that and um, turn that negative into a positive, just as we have to do with everything. Uh, Scott Peck wrote an incredible book, mm -hmm. The Road Less Travel, mm -hmm. and he said, there are no mistakes in life, only lessons. And uh, throughout Wednesday's Children, this book, throughout Keeping Secrets, the theme is always don't blame and understand that through the negative things in your life is where you grow spiritually and emotionally, and you will become a better person if you make it out. Suzanne Summers was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2000. Now she recovered, but the cancer returned earlier this year, and Suzanne died in October, one day before her 77th birthday. Now you can get a copy of Wednesday's Children by Suzanne Summers by tapping on the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. We may earn an Amazon commission if you make a purchase. And while you're at heardeverything.com, don't miss my interviews with two other celebrities who had to deal with very painful childhood abuse. My 1988 conversation with the woman whose story became a best-selling book and a movie called Mommy Dearest, Christina Crawford. I think most people know that I was abused as a child, and so it is going from being victimized to surviving that trauma, and more than surviving, beginning to deal with it. And my 1995 interview with comedian Louis Anderson. No matter how successful and rich and, you know, famous I became, I didn't make me any happier. So I had to find inside what was really important. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us everywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, it's still a few weeks till Christmas, but we're going to the North Pole. We'll go there in my 1987 interview with Explorer... Will Steger. It really wasn't the goal of reaching the pole that, that we were seeking. It was, it was the process of reaching the pole. It's, it's the moment by moment experiences where you grow and you learn. And the reaching the pole on May 1st was actually fairly anticlimactic. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Mm -hmm.